You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Pentultimate class, our second to last class on the Beatitudes. Yes, we're coming to the end. Um, as we have been making our way through the Beatitudes, um, hope you know that uh, along the way we have been discovering the most important teaching that you'll ever come across, taught by the smartest person who ever lived. And what is taught, what is given to us, is nothing less than an invitation to flourish as human beings. Jesus offers us uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount leading up to it, um, Jesus announces the kingdom. And uh, in, in a different gospel, when he announces the kingdom, he says, he says, the time is fulfilled. And the time, what's the word for time? And what's the other word for time? Kairos. Which one does he use? Kairos. Kronos is TikTok time. Kairos is, it's the right time. It's the right. So the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has arrived. The world will never be the same again. And then Jesus says, repent. Stop going and thinking in ways that will not lead to anything good, but turn towards me because I'm life. And if you follow me, you'll experience life. And so that is what he is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a world, a way of living, a flourishing life that will change our life for good and for the good. So tonight we're coming to the close to the end of the, uh, the Beatitudes. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount carries on, but you'll have to just take that up on Sundays. For our purposes, we're just going to stop at the end of the Beatitudes. And uh, the word Beatitude um, is best is translated as blessed what are some other ways it could be translated you lucky bum <laughs> it's funny everybody remembers that one right yeah you lucky bum <laughs> or congratulations or flourishing are the yeah um but it what jesus is offering us in the beatitudes is he's offering us a picture of life what happens when you and i get in sync with the way of jesus with his kingdom purposes. And so today we arrive at the seventh beatitude. And so we're going to read this together. Actually, I'm going to test you because I figured you guys are all over this, right? I'll read the first part and you say the second. Now I see the look in your face. You're like, bring it on. Like, like when I first did it, it'd be like, ah, oh, now it's like, I know what's happening. Bring it on. Okay. So here we go. You guys confident, my cyber friends? You're all good? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, okay, but say it with a little more gusto, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Very good. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, you guys got to say it too, eh? Um, blessed are the meek. Good. 
Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I will, I will accept filled or satisfied. Yes, both answers are correct. <laughs> blessed are the merciful. Yeah. Blessed are the pure in heart. <laughs> You're all over that one. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, or both. Yeah, they shall be called sons of God or children of God. Yeah. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Yeah, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, you come full circle. All right, let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word, Jesus. We come before you uh, in a posture of openness and a posture of receptivity. And we pray that you would speak into our hearts that tonight would not just be about learning some things, but it would uh, be about trans transformation. And so we commit tonight to you and we pray that uh, you would guide our conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight we're going to do, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, in our age, I think on some levels, there's a longing for peace on some levels. Yeah, on some levels. Um, I mean, we see wars that are raging in the world and our hearts cry out for peace. We see what's happening in Ukraine. We see what's happening in Sudan. And, and, and we long for there to be peace. Uh, we closer to home. Is it closer to home? In a fake home, when we go online, when we go into cyberspace, which is not real space, which is fake space, but when we enter into cyberspace, you'll discover that there's a lot of fighting that takes place on cyberspace. Did you know that? It's true. On the internet, not everybody gets along. It's true. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like pro this, pro that, anti this, anti that. Everyone seems angry all the time. Did you guys see... I didn't watch it, and for a reason. I'll tell you at the end why I didn't watch it. Um, but there was this video going around last week of this incredible road rage incident. Did you see that? There's some truck cut off. Some, it's always somebody cutting somebody off, right? But it was uh, in the lower mainland, and this video kind of went viral. And the guy got cut off, and he just lost it. And, of course, this good citizen says, I'm going to film this and post it. Uh, <laughs> which is what he did, but it was really, really intense, apparently. And so I find that a lot of people are angry all the time. Would you agree? Yeah. A lot of people just seem really on edge. Uh, and, but I think there is a longing for peace in, in some ways. Jesus cries out. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, I was sharing this on, on the weekend. Hey, uh, if you were a person in the crowd, in the Sermon on the Mount, you're one of the thousands of people sitting there, listening or gathering, listening to Jesus. And you heard Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers. How would these words resonate with you? Now, it may come as a surprise, but Jesus' teaching, blessed are the peacemakers, may not necessarily have been welcomed by everyone. 
In fact, it may have rubbed some people the wrong way. Why? Well, because when people looked around, what did they see? They looked at their windows. What did they see? They saw the effects of Pax Romana. What is Pax Romana? Yeah, the peace of Rome. So it's the Roman Empire. So this is, you know, this is almost the, the peak of the Roman Empire, uh, first century. And the Roman Empire spread from far and wide, spread across most of the known world. And there's a lot of talk, a lot of ink spilled in history books about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And in many ways, Rome did bring peace in the sense that if you kill everybody, they tend not to cause problems, right? And so, yeah, of course there's peace. There's a graveyard, there's a desert. I mean, there's a story of, I mean, many, many of you may know the story of Julius Caesar and the Gallic Wars, um, where Julius Caesar invaded uh, Gaul. And, and, and there's uh, many historians think there's around 6 million people living in the land in that area. The Romans went in, killed 1 million and enslaved another million. So one third of the population, yeah, that will bring about peace when everybody's afraid of dying or if they're already dead. And even in Asia Minor, we know that um, there were several hundred elite Roman families that lived on fabulous wealth while vast multitudes struggled just to survive. And when the Romans came to Asia Minor, the, you know, the area where much of the New Testament is, uh, takes place and lots of letters are written, uh, when the Romans came there, they saw, man, this is a cash cow. And they just exploited the land, pillaged with abandon, stripped their assets, grew fat and corruption, and basically just exploited everything. And so in a way, yes, <laughs> there's peace. But when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, your heart's cry might be, are you kidding me? You want me to be, make peace with these monsters? I mean, it is a bloody, bloody world in the first century. You want peace? Now, there's a group in the first century, a group of Jews, and they what were they called? They were called the Zealots. They were a real laid-back bunch. They were pretty calm. And, no, they're called Zealots, right, for a reason. They were zealots. And, and so for they were saying, yes, peace with Rome. Okay, but this is how peace with Rome is going to happen. It's through a revolution. It's through overthrowing those rotten, no good Romans. Through violence. You want to know the road to peace? You want peace with these oppressors? Well, we'll have peace, but it's through violence. Now, let me just hit time out for a second. <laughs> One question I want you to think about in this class. Is it ever okay to employ violence in the defense of justice? Is it ever okay to use violence to make peace? Oh, That'll be a fun discussion, right? Yeah, so we will have that discussion tonight. Whether or not we'll resolve everything, uh, I don't know, but I know that Mike will step in the moment uh, it, it gets difficult. Right, Mike, you're on that? 
Yes. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh. You're supposed to say, I'm, I'm there. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's still laughing. Okay. So this is the bloody background. So uh, Jesus cries out, hey, the ones who are in sync with the kingdom of God are the peacemakers. Part of being a gospelized person is one who makes peace. So let's look at a few things. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Now, specifically, what are the qualities of a peacemaker? I'm going to give you guys a few uh, moments just around your table. Just come up with as many qualities of a peacemaker that you can think of. Okay, I'm just going to give you a few moments to do this. You on it? Okay. What does it mean? What comes to mind? Two questions. What, what comes to mind when you think of a peacemaker? And what are the qualities of a peacemaker? It's probably related. Okay, we'll just take a break. Okay. I, I'm catching a bit of a theme. So what, what are some of the characteristics of a peacemaker? Well, diplomacy. Yeah, that's how we, that shows up a bunch of times. What else? Respectful. Yeah, and someone who can understand both sides of an issue. I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, anything else? Sorry? Oh, calm. Yeah, yeah. And discerning, yeah. What, what about, do you know, um, in the 20th century, who would come to mind as a, as a peacemaker? Can you think of anyone? That's what everybody writes down, Martin Luther King, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, we were wondering about Gandhi. Mandela is the other one that showed up, yeah. JFK, first time showing up, that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, yeah. Oh, Jimmy Carter, yeah. That's how you're supposed to say it. Jimmy Carter. Carter. Billy Graham. Lester. Oh, Lester Pearson. Oh, oh well done. Yeah. Well, a couple things to know about a peacemaking. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. One, it's not a natural quality, right? Like in all the... Uh, beatitudes we we've hit this these are not natural qualities that you may find in some personalities so blessed is a is a peacemaker does not just apply to those who like to avoid conflict anyone here like to avoid conflict yes. you, know, you don't volunteer people <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anyone who else likes to avoid conflict? Yes, Mike, really? I like it. Some people are hesitating. It's like, I don't want to offend anyone, but uh, yeah, I do. Uh, anybody, in addition to Terry, love conflict? Anyone? Anybody like, just like, I don't mind conflict. I'll, 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 I'll wait in. Who's like that? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Anyone? You are? Are we becoming more conflict? Yeah. Jeremy, is that Jeremy? You, you don't mind? Con yeah, I can see that. You don't mind. I can certainly see Sylvia. Yeah. No. Um, Sue, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, and so that's not what uh, Jesus gets. It's not just a person who's naturally peace minded, right? Uh, to become a peacemaker, like everything else, is something that is utterly impossible for us to manufacture on our own. 
Uh, so we're dealing with the same teaching. It's, it's like the meek is not somebody who's just mild. Um, you know, the one, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is not just for activists. Um, these are characteristics of those who have been gospelized. Um, so peacemaking is not natural. The other thing is this, um, and Taylor, you were kind of hinting at this uh, about um, uh, peace, how the world sees peace. And that's different than what Jesus is getting at. How the world sees peace, and I just overheard you say this, is that it's this idea of inner peace, right? This inner peace, this inner sense of calm, right? So you think of uh, my favorite actor, Shifu and Kung Fu Panda, right? He's like inner peace, right? Inner peace. And you know, you got, you meditate and you have inner peace. That's not what you, it's not necessarily what Jesus gets. And, and the same, the other one is this um, outer peace, which, which could be, oh, they're no longer fighting um, or like a ceasefire between, between countries. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, what Jesus is teaching is not contrary to the idea of inner peace, because there is inner peace, and it's not contrary to bringing peace between warring parties, absolutely. But there's something more going on. <laughs> it has to be something more, because you can silence the guns, but there could still be like a cauldron ready to boil over, right? You think about that even in a marriage. Oh, we're not fighting anymore. Are you at peace? Maybe not. <laughs> It's just ready to boil over. And you see that with even with between nations. The other thing is that sometimes when people say, I want that inner peace, that inner peace, that inner calm. Well, you can achieve inner calm <laughs> through your vacation. <laughs> you can be off for three weeks and, and feel pretty calm, right? You but you got to come back. Or or if you if you're in more of a hurry, you know, you smoke a few doobies and then you, you know. You feel that inner calm, right? They still call them doobies. <laughs> I just hate my... I don't think anybody calls them doobies. Do they call them doobies at school? Anymore? <laughs> Marijuana plants, I don't know. Do they do that? <laughs> Nobody's going to answer, even if you know the answer, yes. <laughs> We're all too old. Yes, we are. I'm sure. The word in the Bible for peace is what? What is the word? Shalom. Yeah, it's a great word. Uh, it's one of those words that actually sounds like what it is. So what is shalom? Okay, but ex expand on that. Peace. What kind of peace? God's peace, wholeness. Yeah, that's very. That's an important characteristic. It's this. It's this wholeness. Um, it's 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 shalom is is life as God intended it to be, and so shalom is the experience of being reconciled in a relationship with God, uh, with yourself, with 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 um, with the earth and and with each other. It's it's this wholeness. And and you get pictures of God's shalom um, throughout the uh, throughout the Bible. I mean, let me just look at one of them um, in Isaiah chapter two. Isaiah chapter two, um, you come across these words. <laughs> uh, Isaiah chapter two says, um, verse four, 
It says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Right? Um, there's, it, it shows up all throughout the Old Testament. And so the question is, is why is shalom, this picture of peace, this wholeness, why is this a sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom? Why is this a sign of the gospel eyes? Well, for a number of reasons. One, God is a God of peace. And this comes up over and over again. I mean, think about uh, Paul and his writings. How many times he says, may the God of peace, the God of peace. It shows up in Romans 15, Romans 16. Um, Philippians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, God is a God of love and peace. And so God is a peacemaker. He is the number one peacemaker. Secondly, Jesus is our peace. And you know this um, from that uh, Isaiah 9, right? It's uh, uh, the one that we read at Christmas time, <laughs> right? Uh, How does that one go? It goes, um, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his, and every one of you is singing Handel's Messiah right now. I know that. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, right? It's the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in, in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, we read this in verse 13. In him, uh, oh no, here we go. <laughs> in him. Um, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. Right? And then we also read that Jesus brings peace. And we get that picture in... Uh, um, in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, verse 27, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. So let your hearts not be troubled, nor let them be afraid. And so the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of peace. It is the kingdom of shalom. And we are called to love shalom. We are called to enter into shalom, to love shalom, and most importantly, to make shalom. So what does it mean to be a shalom maker? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, if you want to get a picture of what it means to be a peacemaker, you know where you need to learn or where you need to look is the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because every theme that we've looked at, even in the Beatitudes, is going to show up again and again throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But let me hit a couple of them. You and I can become peacemakers when our hearts are at peace with God. That's key. To be a peacemaker, 
you need to be in sync with Jesus. So the peace of God happens when the, when the God of peace is allowed to be God in our lives. You've seen those um, bumper stickers. They're cheesy, but I kind of like it. No God, no peace. But if you know God, you know peace, right? And if you think about it, what is at the root of all the anxiety, all the fear, and all the world war in this world? What is at the root? I think it's, it's when we turn our back on God. When we either act as if God does not exist, or if he does exist, he does not matter. Or we use the name of God to carry out our independent ideas. And so we need to recognize, I mean, how much evil has been done in the history of the world in the name of the peacemaker, Jesus. But the reality, the reality is that a lot of people do things in the name of Jesus, but in their hearts, they've set their hearts in rebellion against God and his ways. And I think that's the story of our lives. We go through our lives living as if God does not exist. Now, there's a fellow named uh, Vaclav Havel, who was a dissident, who was a poet, he was a playwright. Um, he was a, a president of Czechoslovakia, first president of the Czech Republic. And this is what he says. He says, given its fatal incorrigibility, humanity probably will have to go through many more Rwandas and Chernobyls before it understands how unbelievably short-sighted a human being can, can be who has forgotten that he is not God. And so you, you get an idea then of how this beatitude, um, how it connects, how it connects with some of the other beatitudes we've looked at. Have you, have you noticed this? Why don't um, we just take a moment? I don't think I have the answers in your notes. Um, just take a moment. How does this, blessed are the peacemakers, how does this connect with the other Beatitudes we've looked at? Okay. Just take a moment around your tables. Just how does this Beatitude connect with the other Beatitudes? All right. Just. All right. So how, how does this, how does this connect to the other um, Beatitudes? I, I'm going to, I'm going to quote the, uh, the, the, the famous Mike Clausen uh, here. And this is what he says. And I do quote, as we, become more Christ-like through the other Beatitudes, we start to seek to not just live in peace, but to help others live in peace with each other. I like that. I also appreciated uh, what Lori had said as well. Um, and she just talks about the connection between uh, being meek and being merciful, because when you're meek and you're merciful, you're not going to quickly write off somebody, but you're going to listen to both sides and you're going to extend the same mercy to others in listening to them in the same way that you have actually been a recipient of God's mercy. So I think that's that's good. What else comes to mind? Anything else? Jean? <laughs> you look like you're leaning in. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Even being poor in spirit, like the idea of being poor in spirit, saying, look, I don't have it all together. I'm in desperate need. Um, I'm in desperate need. I, I, I cannot make it on my own. I'm in desperate need from, uh, of God's help. Uh, in the same way as we look at you know, situations of conflict or whatever, 
or where there needs to be peace. And we recognize that we're in desperate need, that nobody has it all together, but we are in all in need of God's grace in the midst of this. You know, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you just go through them all, right? Well, unless we are in shalom with God, you and I are going to be struggle. We're going to struggle to be at shalom with ourselves. And when we are at war with ourselves, when our hearts are divided, it's hard to be pure in heart and it's hard to see God, right? Um, and if we're at war with ourselves, this is the thing. If we're not in peace with God, how can we ever be a peacemaker? And I find that a lot of people these days are just warring with themselves. They're, they're so angry. Now, I get that because part of my background, I used to be a very, very angry person. Um, very angry person. And I found myself just being angry for no particular reason. I was just in a constant state of anger. Um, I mean, this is the days when I was working and doing business overseas. Um, I, I just, I remember one time driving. I, I, had, I had my own personal driver. I was living in a four-star hotel for free. I would be picked up by my chauffeur in company car in the morning, taken to the office and taken back. And I remember in this hardship, of just being so angry, so angry all the time. That's a great question. I was just in a permanent state of anger. And uh, I didn't know why. But I'd be very quickly, if somebody said something about one of my colleagues, um, I would just jump in and, 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 and say horrible things about my colleague as well. Like wh whatever the topic was, I would just add gasoline. And I remember coming home. I came back to Canada for a week and I saw my younger brother. My younger brother, I mean, you have to try really hard not to like my younger brother. He's just an awesome guy. Older brother's a different story, but oh, shoot, this, this is all recorded. Yeah, he'll never listen to it. Um, but my younger, but I was so mean to him. I was so mean to him. And I think I shared this story, but I remember when I was back, I had to get my license renewed and I got my license renewed and I looked at it. And I'm like, I scared myself because my eyes were as black as coal. And I remember I was with my dad and we're driving and I just swearing about my brother, bad, rotten. And then my dad's like, what is the matter with you? And I was so angry, consumed with anger. And and I find that, you know, and one of the things that happened is when I did come to faith in Jesus, I experienced peace like I'd never understood before. Now, I like to say, oh, and I've been even tempered ever since, right? Uh, but no, but there's times, there's times, though, when I feel that anger coming on, or I feel restless and I get angry for no reason. And I really need to lean into Jesus. Does anybody ever else, anybody here, am I alone in this? Like, does anybody else experience this? Like just feeling that anger? But other feelings, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. We really need to, to, um, to lean into Jesus's teaching here. Yeah. Your anger and 
Oh, very good. Oh. But then also, like, does that yeah. Yeah. So, how do you differentiate between uh, anger that you might just have boiling up inside of you, or anger towards things that are actually wrong in this world? Because I think that's what like throws people to make Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think the lines are always that clear because our hearts are, are messed up. But I can, I know there's a difference when it's a truly righteous anger and when it's anger in my heart. And one of the, one of the differences is, um, one, the anger is consuming me and I'm kind of out of control and I can't shake it. The other thing is that when it's, it's, um, when the anger is not healthy, when it's not a righteous anger, there's, there's this, um, there's this independence to, to, to my anger. I'm not, it's, it's not coming out of prayer and it's not coming out of, um, a, um, a desire for God's name to be lifted up. It's coming out of somewhere else. And the other thing is that there's a desire for control to, 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 to fix it. And it's, it's, an, it's almost an independent desire to fix it. When I actually have righteous anger, like when it's, when it's coming from a right place, um, I'm not consumed by it. And my attention is just as much on God's heart as it is on what I'm seeing. That's incongruent to God's heart. That God is part of the whole thing. Most unhealthy anger, God gets left behind. And so a lot of things are done, maybe even in the name of God, and maybe even against things that are truly unjust, but may not be done in the right way and can often lead to um, unintended consequences. Um, I am going to, Mike, you spoke on this, didn't you, on, on anger when we did the seven? Yeah, so Mike did a whole thing on righteous anger that we recorded last year uh, on, in the um, seven deadly sins. So have a listen, because I know, Mike, you, you handled that, the, the whole issue of, of righteous anger and unrighteous anger, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so I mean, do you want me to? I was just going to say that uh, righteous anger is um, still aiming for reconciliation uh, as well as justice, whereas wrath is uh, justly desiring the destruction of the of the other. Ah, very good. Good. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah. So. Unless we receive the peace of God, we're we're really we're really in a, a a rough place. When we receive the peace of God, something does happen, and and one of the things I know that happened to me is my anger. My anger level dropped huge. Um, and part of it is, is just like I didn't have to be God. I could allow God to be God. And there's a freedom when you realize you don't have to be God anymore. So how do you make peace with others? Well, I think in many ways, um, you, you make peace with others. Part of it is, is it's evangelistic. I mean, it's, it's by proclaiming the Prince of Peace, who he is, what Jesus has done for us. 
in a world that's brimming with conflict and hatred. In many ways, it's about what Paul is saying is about being an ambassador for God, an ambassador to Christ. That's what he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. The other thing about um, being a peacemaker is that the second thing is that peacemakers, <laughs> before you know it, are going to find themselves in the eighth beatitude, which is what? Yeah, persecuted. Absolutely. Uh, as we live at the call to be a peacemaker, as we live in sync with the Lord, with the God of peace, yeah, maybe things will go well. Maybe people say, oh, what a great peacemaker. Maybe you'll even win a Nobel Peace Prize. But um, more likely, this is how it's going to play out. <laughs> uh, when you try to bring peace, you'll end up annoying a lot of people. Now, just as an example, just as an example, how many of you have ever stepped into an internet argument to bring peace? Has anyone ever tried to do that? You're on, you're on, you're online and people are yelling at each other. It's like, I'm going to wade in and bring, fellas, let's calm down. How does that go over? What happens? They, yes. Because you're standing in no man's land saying, hey, everybody, let's, why can't we get, well, wait a second, you are the only one exposed and you are done and you're going to be shot at from both sides. I have had that happen so many times. I actually had it in kind of a funny way. It wasn't funny at the time, but did I ever tell you the time when um, I was in my office, when my office was over there and a fight broke out outside? Have I ever told you that? This is like 20 years ago. So I'm in my office and I all hear this, fight, 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 fight. And I'm like, what is going on outside? And I open the window, I look outside, and all these Charles Best students had decided there's no better place for a fight than church property. And so they are, so there's a big fight and a big cry. You know, it's typical, like things never change. It's like you still gather around and you cheer the guys on when they're fighting. Um, and so it just, you're just outside there, yeah. And so I ran downstairs and I went, yeah, I don't even know what I sing, but I just went right into the middle of the fight. And I said, hey, stop fighting on church property. <laughs> and, and I grabbed one of the kids, right? I just, I mean, kids are kids, whatever. So I grabbed him and I'm pulling him back. And then I realized he's now exposed and I'm exposed. And this guy is still angry. I'm like, okay, I should have thought this through because now I mean, they could get free shots at us. And so it's almost like standing in that no man's land. And you think you're being a peacemaker and now you're exposed. And thankfully, you know, they didn't throw any punches, but I'm like, all right, let's calm things down. But that's what happens. You try to be a peacemaker. And next thing you know, you're going to get shot at from both sides. If you're all about shalom making, you will face trouble. Um, and he, this is where it gets awkward because one of the places where you'll get in trouble if you're a shalom maker is the church. Do you know why? Because everybody likes the status quo. Nobody wants somebody to stir things up. And so, I, I mean, I've been on staff for a long time and i've been at other churches and i've been on staff where where it's very clear there's a major conflict between two people but you can't bring it up because it's just going to get messy and so you just stay quiet and the conflict just goes on 
If you say, you know what, I want to name the elephant in the room. You know, Bob, you seem to be kind of upset at, at Sally over here. And, and I think it's because of this. So it is just a mess. It could be a real mess. So you just stay quiet. And so the poets, the great poets, the great poets of High School Musical had it right. You stick to the status quo, right? Yes. You didn't realize I was so cool that I knew High School Musical. Yeah. Uh, e. Stanley Jones says, people hate to be disturbed, even for the better. In the same way, the world hates the pure in heart. In the same way, it hates, it sees the merciful and the meek as weak and has no time for peacemakers. And so to walk the path of a peacemaker is to walk the way of, of Christ, the way of the cross. And there's no peacemaking without a cross. And this should not surprise me, because how does God make peace with us? Through the cross. You and I are made right with God. We experience peace with God through the sacrificial love, the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. And so if we're to express the same kind of love in the world today, loving your enemies, for example, it's not going to be easy. And so the cross is not only the source of our new life, it is a pattern of our own life, of our new life. Because what does Jesus say? If anyone wants to be my disciple, what do they have to do? To deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So, Let's, uh, let's talk about a very awkward topic. Now, as we enter into this, we're all talking about peacemaking. So we're all going to be very peaceable towards each other, right? And just because you guys are online doesn't mean you have to act like people online. No. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this. So here's a big question. Can peacemaking be achieved through force? Okay, there's a church in Washington, D.C. In fact, I've seen a church like this in Canada as well, in an Anglican church. And there's a beautiful stained glass window. And in the stained glass window, there's a picture of Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulders. And it says, a good, good shepherd, picture of the good shepherd carrying a lamb on his shoulders. And the inscription at the bottom reads, testimonial to the boys of this parish who served in the Great War. And so what's that root behind this, this image and this caption, along with thousands of them around the world? It's the idea that war as a practice is something that Christians may at times be required to pursue. Yes, it is regrettable. Yes, many will die. But military service is not incongruent with Christian service. That's the idea behind it. In fact, I, when I teach church history and we look at World War I, Every party in World War I entered the war believing without a doubt that God was on their side. And the language that was used by the Germans, by the French, by the Brits, uh, and later by the Americans were all, it was all, was all language of God is, is for us. In fact, when, when the Brits and the Americans took control of Jerusalem, in the Holy Land against the Ottoman Empire, 
it was seen, it was described as a crusading success. The language of the Crusades was, was invoked. So the God is clearly on our side. And I read recently about a Catholic priest who performed mass for the bombers who bombed the Catholic city of Nagasaki in World War II. And this is what he wrote a few years later. He says, I walked through the ruins of Nagasaki right after the war and visited the place where once stood the, the Yurakami Cathedral. I picked up a piece of censer from the rubble. When I looked at it, when I look at it today, I pray God forgives us for how we have distorted Christ's teaching and destroyed his world by the distortion of that teaching. I was a Catholic chaplain who was there when this grotesque process that began with Constantine reached its lowest point so far. So let me ask you a question. Now, how I phrase the question is really key. So I'm going to lay out three questions. Three questions. Each of them have a different feel to them. And then I'm just going to have you guys talk among yourselves about these questions. Here's the three questions. Is it appropriate for those who profess to be followers of this gentle shepherd to take up lethal weapons against enemies? Or is it ever God's will for Christians to employ violence in defense of justice? Or is it ever God's will for unjust acts of violence to be met with forceful means of prevention and just punishment? They're all basically asking the same thing, but in different ways. And so I want you to just spend some time. You have those three questions in your notes? Yeah? I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk among yourselves. Now, this is important. We are going to be kind to one another, right? I know this is, a, this is an important topic, so it doesn't mean we can't have octane, but we need to be kind. We need to be meek, <laughs> merciful, right? Does that sound good? So let's just take a moment and discuss these things, okay? And go. Yeah, it sounds like a very lively conversation around a, a lot of the tables. It's, it's, it's a very important question, and I hope you notice the way I frame, well, yeah, I, I drew these questions from uh, from other sources, but uh, the way these three questions are framed really do affect the way you answer them, and then the way even you you, you look at this topic. What I want to do is lay. I mean, there's there's different perspectives on this. Uh, you could reduce them to two, even though there's a lot more nuance. So let me just kind of lay out two key perspectives on this topic. Um, is there a legitimate use of force? Um, should Christians employ violence in defense of justice? Um, should Christians ever take up lethal weapons against enemies? Uh, there's one camp that would say no, absolutely not. Uh, guys like Howard Yoder, um, uh, Yoder um, uh, Richard Hayes, uh, the answer is no. Uh, Stanley Horowitz, I think, would fall into that camp as well. It is never okay for Christians to be involved in the use of force for the sake of justice. And this means it's not okay for Christians to engage in combat in the armed forces. And some would even argue the police force. 
And the basis for this argument is Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Christians have not been called to a mission of advancing the religious cause by stepping on or destroying those who gets in the way, which again is a theme in World War I. Nor did Jesus tell his followers to set up a Christian nation or a city on a hill to defend itself against all threats. And so what about the police? What about the military? Can Christians participate in these? Richard Hayes would say no. And Richard Hayes is a formidable thinker. He's a very uh, heavyweight um, New Testament scholar. And Old Testament. He's a biblical scholar, yeah. And he would say clearly no. Christians should not participate in the use of force. And so maybe, maybe a non-combatant role in the military, but not one deployed in battle. In Hayes's view, there's no role for the Christian in any public ministry, in fact, a public ministry of, of justice that is supported by political powers. Why? Because political powers are associated with force. And so um, because of this, Christians should stay out of politics and Christians should stay out of the military. And there's some question about police, but generally not in any role where force is involved. And he says it's very clear. This is what Jesus is teaching in particular in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us. Okay. The second idea is, is against this is the idea the governments, the response to this would be like, well, no, governments have changed. So what we're talking, when you look at the government, whatever, it's not really a government in the first century. It's very different. Now, we have, we have a, a, a governmental system that is being influenced by uh, Judeo-Christian ideas. We have a government that is responsible for carrying out justice. And uh, one guy, a guy named James Skillen, puts it this way. If a political community may rightfully monopolize and use force only for the purpose of upholding justice for all, then it may not on any terms be the kind of community whose government uses force arbitrarily or to satisfy selfish ambitions of its leaders and people. And so what he's saying is that if the government, if, if you live in a democracy, for example, a liberal democracy, and the government is all about impartiality and the fair treatment and a fair trial to bring about a just end, this is part of the government, then, then of course you can be part of this because it's not about tyranny. It's about... Um, Justice. And so if government administers public justice for the common good, if it protects the innocent through the rule of law without resorting to violence, then these public areas Christians could participate in. And so he says, you know, why should Christians be left out of of areas of life that prevent the spread of terrorism. Um, you know, should not, I mean, in the case of, um, I don't know if you know the story, we can't go into it, but if the story of, 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 of the um, peacekeepers in Rwanda in 1994, with Romeo Dallaire, the Canadian um, um, 
leader of the peacekeepers, if he was given the authority to use force, the argument is, is that what took place over the following eight weeks were, you know, 600,000 Rwandans, um, um, Tutsis were, were slaughtered. It could have been avoided. And so, so is, is, are these areas that Christians just can't participate in, that we just kind of stay out of? Is, is, is political life just part of being human? And what if we begin with the conviction that, that the world is God's good creation and we're mandated to be good stewards over God's good creation? Uh, are we not mandated to carry out justice? Are there areas of the common life that are outside the bounds of, Christ, of, 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 of being a Christian? I mean, we, we say as a, as a Christian that um, one guy, Abraham Kuyper, says there's not one square inch in this whole world um, that Jesus um, has, is Lord over, that Jesus does not look at and say mine, right? That Jesus is Lord over everything. So are there some areas that Jesus is not Lord over? And so that would be the pushback. And then there's also a long history of saying, okay, there's also um, a Christian way to think about war. And this goes back to uh, a fellow named St. Augustine, he lived in the fourth century, and there's been some adjustments along the way. And Augustine asked the question, can war ever be just? Can it ever be righteous? Can it ever be right? And so he divided it into two parts. He talked about um, why are you going to war? And then how do you conduct yourself during war? And it's interesting why you're going to war. The, um, the Bush, no, yeah, the Bush administration went through this criteria when determining whether or not they should go into Iraq. It's interesting. They used Augustine's, um, well, it goes back to Augustine's uh, idea of just war. So this is what Augustine says. He says, to go to war, certain things need to be in place. You need to have a just authority. Is there a legitimate process of making this decision? Who's making the call? You need to have a just cause. What was the wrong committed to justify this war? War needs to be in response to an aggressor or unjust actions by other governments who are threatening peace and stability. So just authority, just cause. Thirdly, it, means it needs to be the last resort. Has every attempt been made to resolve the conflict before deciding to go to war? And fourthly, it needs to be the right proportion. And so how you go to war needs to be proportional to the nature of the war. So if there's, you know, just a skirmish and you go in and you flatten the land, that's disproportionate use of force. And while you're conducting war, there needs to be one proportionality. Uh, the degree of allowable force must be measured against the force required to achieve the just cause. So you don't have to send in all your troops. You can send in some. Discrimination, you need to discriminate between combatants and non-combatants. The innocent should never be made targets. And thirdly, responsibility. The country is not responsible for unexpected side effects of the war so long as you intend to bring out just consequences. Bad effects were unintended, so you didn't mean to you know, kill any innocents. And the good result outweighs the damage. So that's Augustine's. Any initial thoughts? Yeah. 
Oh, it's been it's been adapted and adjusted, but it's, it goes back to Augustine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So Brent's saying there's a boatload of verses that talk about non-force. Yeah. Turning the other cheek and yeah, loving your enemies. Yeah. 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 So that's good. Yeah. So, so, so Brent's actually asking a really good question because the question you're asking is the question Richard Hayes asks. Uh, yeah. So very same question is like, there's a lot of verses in the teachings of Jesus in particular that speak against violence. And that's right. People dying rather than fighting, uh, fighting back. Yes. You look at the example of Stephen, for example, so the, the response would be, um, in terms of um, verses, I mean, the response, it's interesting, the response is primarily theological, ra rather than biblical, yeah, okay. Um, so you deal with principles and you build upon us, that's how theology works. Um, the other thing is that um, where, where it's drawn from is, is, is images of God, the warrior, in the Old Testament and carrying out justice, as well as eschatological pictures of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So those are the places that you look to where the other guys, they would look at the Sermon on the Mount primarily. So, but you're asked, that's such a good question. Um, now I'm gonna leave it to you guys to figure out because you guys are you have the Holy Spirit. You can discern this. We could, I could give you lots of books to read up on this. Uh, there is one book called uh, Four Views of War, a Christian uh, four, four Views of, of, of War. What I want to look at is just is a guy that, that his name came up is, is Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not going to, how many of you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is or have heard of him? Yeah, some of you. Okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, um, a theologian and a pastor. Um, and who died, uh, he, was, he was arrested in Germany uh, for being um, associated with a plot to assassinate Hitler. And so he is arrested and eventually killed just three weeks before the end of World War II. Uh, major theologian uh, at the time, he was, and if he had lived, uh, I think he would have gone on to be a very significant theologian, but he died at the age of 39. Bonhoeffer, when he started off, um, he was a pacifist through and through. I've read uh, his Cost of Discipleship. Some of you may have read it. Uh, his Cost of Discipleship is a fantastic book. He wrote it early in his career, um, and he wrote it, and a lot of it is a reflection on the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is what Bonhoeffer says. He says, Jesus's followers are called to peace. When Jesus called them, they found their peace. Jesus is their peace. Now they are not only to have peace, but they are to make peace. To do this, they must renounce violence and strife. Those things never help the cause of Christ. Now, interesting. 
And yet, he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. So what happened? Well, it's, it's, it's complex. Um, in Bonhoeffer's mind, he says, this assassination plot was exceptional in, in the sense that it, it was an exception. It was a decision he made in response to the challenges of the moment. And his involvement in the plot was something that God, he believed God was calling him to do. But he knew that to participate in this plot, he would have to stand before God and basically live in the consequences of doing this. But he, but he did this, nevertheless, out of his desire to follow Jesus. Now, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's a duality there. But the thing about Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer knew, he says, like, he says, if something along the line, if you see someone driving and you're with someone who's driving and they're about to run somebody down, is it not your moral responsibility to forcefully wrench the steering wheel from his hands? And he's saying, so that's why Hitler's doing. Now he recognized to use force, to use force runs up against the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but he felt that he had to do this. But he also knew that I may have to stand before God on this one and answer. And uh, But he did say, he says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And he says, neutrality is not, he says, in the case of Hitler, you couldn't remain neutral. You could not stay neutral in this. You had to, you had to lean in. And so these are big questions. And I, I, I find Bonhoeffer very honest because he deeply wrestled with this. And you read about his wrestling in The Cost of Discipleship, which is his reflection on the Sermon on the Mount. His letters from prison, because he's in prison, and he writes a number of letters, and they're very powerful. I don't know if you've ever read them, but they're really worth reading. Um, and then he's, it's his unfinished book on ethics. And, that, and you see kind of an evolution of his thinking. So these are big questions. And I struggle with them. I struggle with them. I, I read Richard Hayes, and I'm one of those guys, you know, you read something, it's like, yes, Richard Hayes, I agree. And then I read somebody else, like, oh, wait, yes, no, I agree. And like, it's, it's a difficult one. And I always think about, you know, somebody was attacking my family. Now, I, I knew somebody who was a Mennonite and his parents were from, um, from Ukraine. And when the, um, when the Bolsheviks came in, um, they shot his family. And he just stood there while they did it. Because he believed in, in nonviolence. And, and like I knew this guy who was uh, one of our elders a long time ago. And it was uh, one of his relatives, his father, father, yeah, his father, or grandfather, yeah. And that's a tough one for me. Would I stand by while somebody is innocently, like if it's me, I can make that call. But if it's somebody else, I don't know. I'll leave it to you guys to wrestle with tonight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, especially the first. 
So I feel like for me in this image, he was doing all this violence to get paid sometimes right yeah so we look at the violence in the old testament now that's a whole conversation in itself but one of the key differences is that is is that it's one we're not god yes and god's justice is perfect and ours is imperfect right um well that's good yeah if we're made in his image and 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 part of being in his image is we represent or we have the same thirst or hunger for justice for example um, that's good. Somebody else made another point. It's just like, well, you know what? Okay. Talking about death, that if we have eternal life, we know that even if you're, even the worst thing you can experience in life is not the last thing. The last thing is eternal life for eternity in the presence of Jesus. And if you really believe that, would that not also affect how you live in your life? So these are really complicated, complex questions. But as Christians, we need to kind of wrestle with it and think about them. And so I can resource you and get you thinking and, and, and have further conversations. But I want to introduce this because peacemaking is not as straightforward as maybe as, as we thought coming in. But let me just leave you a couple steps. We got uh, three minutes. Uh, what are some steps we can take to become peacemakers in our life? Remember who you belong to. Remember that you've received peace from Jesus. You're baptized into his peace. And the peace of Jesus shapes your identity, who you are. Blessed be the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. We are adopted children, daughters, and sons of the Most High through Jesus. We've entered into peace with God the Father through, through the cross, through Jesus. And we are partners in peacemaking in this world of chaos and strife. Secondly, we need to recognize the stuff in our hearts that does not want peace. <laughs> we need to be honest with ourselves because sometimes it's way easier to ignore conflict than lean in, isn't it? Oh, she's not mad at me anymore because she's just quiet. So I guess that's good. <laughs> or is it good? Like you avoid conflict, right? Um, in my family, my family of origin, we, um, we, we, we seldom dealt with conflict. It's just like, we were a loud family, um, but we avoid conflict. We just do. Uh, and, and, and yeah. So we need to acknowledge this in our hearts. Thirdly, we need to recognize any fear that's in our hearts and help and ask God to overcome it. Uh, you know, sometimes the fear is like, oh man, if I say something, it's just, you know, it's late at night. Let's just go to sleep. It's easier than, you know, if I bring it up in the office, if I bring it up in, in our staff meeting, oh, our staff meeting is going to go on for two hours. I got work to do this afternoon. So I'll just kind of stay quiet. Right. Fourthly, remember the kingdom of God has indeed broken in. <laughs> we need to remember this. Um, we don't produce peace. It's given to us as a gift. But the kingdom has come. The time is fulfilled. And we are to repent and believe the good news. And, and, and that the Holy Spirit has come upon us and ministers in us and through us. 
And that conversation you need to have with that person who you're in conflict with, you have to recognize that that you're in trust, that God has gone ahead of you and maybe is working in that person's heart and that you can come to a place of peace because we believe in the gospel. I had one other thing that I added. added. Stay away from inflammatory talk and inflammatory videos. I see them. They come across my feed. Have you ever seen them? It's just like all these, you know, road rage, you know, top 10 road rage. And I'm like, wow, this looks really interesting, especially if it's a reel and it starts playing on your screen already. And I watch people get really mad with each other, punching each other. And when I watch that, by the end, something's happened to me. It affects me. It really does affect me. So you need to be careful what you consume. The last thing is, is to remember to start small. <laughs> Some of you are like, I need to be a peacemaker. Pastor David says I need to be a peacemaker. So next week, I'm going to the Middle East, and I'm going to bring peace to the Middle East. Right? But I want to encourage you to start small. So start, start with your mom. <laughs> so, some of you might be saying the Middle East would be easier. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian, don't say anything. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, start with your brother. Start with that friend. Start small. Start with the person who cuts you off. Brad, I think Brad was telling me about somebody. Well, sorry, I forget who told me about this. Um, somebody cut them off and they just blasted the horn and yelled at it. And then, then they came to some stoplights or whatever. And the person got out. The person was going, she felt convicted. She went over, she knocked on the person's window and she goes, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. Which is better than the guy who pounded on my window and wanted to get into a fight with me, but that's a whole nother story. Um, and the other thing you need to remember is that not everybody wants to be at peace with you. And so that's Paul's teaching. In as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with one another. There's going to be people that you're going to try to make peace with. And they're just not wanting to be at peace with you. Uh, I shared that story where I, I, I had two very close friends, very close friends. And I said something really dumb, really dumb. And they were so mad. And I apologized. I apologized. I had them over. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, this is while I was a Christian. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. I say lots of dumb things as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember saying, I'm so sorry. And they're really close friends. And uh, I said, Ken, is there any chance of us being friends? I'll never forget. She looked at me. And she goes, we can be friends in the Lord, <laughs> which means, uh, what, what, what does that mean? And then they walked out. They got up, they walked out, and the last thing he said to me as he's walking out, this is a close friend of mine. He says, I hope you learned your lesson. And they walked out and never saw them again. Really close. They were so mad. And I realized, but then, you know, Paul, I did everything I could to try to, you know, I did apologize. And I did say something dumb, but I did apologize. But uh, as much as it depends upon you. Um. So, yeah, I want to encourage you on that. I mean, the, the, the modern world doesn't want us to be peacemakers. Uh, 
the modern world has its as as a lot of plans for peacemakers and that's what we're going to be touching on next week <laughs> when we uh when we finish off the beatitudes uh we won't, won't look too far ahead so i want to leave us with a, a prayer of saint francis i like this i have it in your notes the prayer goes lord make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me sow love where there is injury pardon where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, and where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. I should say master. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So that's our, our focus tonight is uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Next week, we will be finishing off our journey through the Beatitudes on a happy note by looking at persecution. <laughs> so we'll finish things off. <laughs> Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.